My first rifle was a 243. Papa gave daddy and daddy gave to me. And they taught me how to shoot with a steady hand. I guess that's something you don't understand. Here we are with another episode of All American Wing Shooting Podcast. And today we have a New Yorker. Michael Pepe. I'm so excited to hear all about what's going on in your world. All kinds of stuff. You know, we're cranking along taxidermy and the crew of misfits. I got my lab sitting here trying to eat one of the birds we just mounted up. But uh, yeah, mine hadn't even got out of bed. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't had any incidents yet, but uh, I hope it doesn't happen with all the birds that we have floating around and Oh, yeah. Big fleet of dogs that are coming and going and new dogs from helping people train showing up at the house. There's plenty to get into trouble everywhere. Oh, my gosh. I love that you bring this up because. My taxidermy is nothing on the level of what you guys do, because you guys are showstoppers, literally at trade shows. Your display is museum. Like you could walk, just walk through normal trade show with the boots and the tents. And then all of a sudden it's like, we just walked into a museum. <laughs> Thank you very much. We try, we spend, uh, we're not a big production shop by any means. There's only a couple of us hands-on in the studio, but uh, we take our time and study a lot and really try to make everything as perfect and as lifelike anatomical as possible. And uh everybody in the studio takes a lot of pride in doing that and uh, we're all outdoorsmen we're all conservationists so when we're out in the woods it's not just uh you know we're hunting we're kind of studying all the time and there's a lot of great tax service out there and they all do the same thing right uh, they're not just in there throwing stuff together everybody's kind of always learning and figuring things out as we go well you mentioned the risk of having the dogs in the house with the taxidermy and I know the repercussions of a mischievous short hair in the house. <laughs> yeah. She wrecked my dog. Mercy wrecked my quail pair. And, and I was able to salvage the kit. Yeah. So now next season, I will just have to go shoot more birds. <laughs> hey, at least you're in a good spot for it. <laughs> yeah. For a little while, little while I'll be here during quail season, but. I know that you have, you have had short hairs come through your past too. I don't know what dogs you're still focused on, but. Yeah, we trained a couple back uh, in college. I worked at a kennel full-time training and breeding English setters. So I have a fleet of English setters. I call them my misfit crew, but <laughs> uh, so I have them and I do have a lab that's getting up there in age. Uh, he's had thousands and thousands of retrieves and I retired him this year to just he hangs out with mom and the baby's kind of at home and uh, we're getting a Springer. He's three weeks. She's three weeks old right now. So that'll be our next flushing retrieving dog coming down the pike here. Oh, really? So what made you switch breeds? I started my first dog ever. I got a Springer uh, when I was seven. My dad trained it, you know, and we hunted over it. I shot my first birds over it, retrieved my first ducks and first pheasants and always loved them. And then as we got older, you know, that dog started to slow down and my dad's like, I want a setter. And I was like, all right, you know, we'll find one. We found one when I was a freshman in college and he's like, all right, you know, I trained the last one. I'm busy here in college, you know, like figure it out. And, uh, long story short, I found styles bridges up. He's, he was five miles from campus. I went to St. Lawrence university. No way. uh, (laughs) He's a, amateur national grouse champion kind of super low-key dude and uh he's like come whenever you want just give me a shout then uh we'll come and we'll train your dog you can help me with other stuff and i was like all right and i called him every day and uh he's like just show up you know it doesn't matter (laughs) and we're still i'm seeing him on saturday we're still close friends he's my family up north and uh i've had a lot of setters and helped him train a lot of setters since then oh there's nothing like family that's built at the kennel oh yeah 
it's special because dog people are a unique group of people, right? Oh yeah. There's a lot of hunters that have dogs, but there's a small group of when you meet a like-minded dog person, it's different, you know. And uh, you definitely join a bond. A lot of my closest well, it's, friends it's are an obsession. Yeah. It, it really is. It's it's an obsession, and I don't know, cultish. But it's like, what do you mean you? you get up at five o'clock in the morning to do dog chores, to train until the sun goes down, just to do more dog chores, just to get up to do that again, seven days a week. I was addicted to that lifestyle. And oh yeah, I mean, I could, I could have done it for forever and it is so hard and it, and it never ends. It's not like, Oh, you're a dog trainer. And then you just retire. I don't, I don't know if you ever retire. I think you just lighten your load. Yep. I think you said it right. Yeah. It doesn't, it never changes, you know? And uh, people siphon through your life and dog people stay, you know, I don't know what it is. But the, I, like you said, cultures, the breeds thing are the same thing, right? Yep. You get in a group of guys that all have different uh, hunting dogs at camp. It's like, you know, <laughs> starting fights. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about that all the time on this podcast. That topic yep. is brought up with people from such different variety of backgrounds, because it is so true. And I, when I first got my short hairs, I was around short hair people, but I wasn't, I mean, I really wasn't in this um, world where everybody was so educated about so, all the opportunity, right. That you and yeah. I see in the travels that we have. I mean, I'm talking about just Georgia, good old boys hunting. We're running tournaments in somebody's farm in a pasture in the backyard kind of thing. Like, yeah. And so for me to have been so opinionated about that, not knowing that it was actually like a real thing within the bird dog world, it, it just cracks me up because it steals your heart. Like this world literally just steals your heart and you can't put it into words. Like you just have to have that dog to experience it, to kind of join the club. Yeah, for sure. And it's also super regional. I mean, you've talked about it before, right? But New York for wild birds, we have grouse and woodcock, right? So a close buddy of mine, Rick Watson, who you know, is a grouse guide and we have a lot of setters, right? And then there's another guy in the crew that runs Britney's. And it's always like, who found more birds at the end of the day, right? Yeah. And, and it's not find more birds or did the Britney's yep. find more birds? <laughs> it's like as hardcore as the SEC. But yep. okay, so I'm going to throw a monkey wrench in there because I spent so much time in Wisconsin. And guess who was always finding more grouse for me? Uh, who was that? The lab. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> That's another thing, right? I have no problem. I mean, it's totally different hunting, right? I have a friend that hunts all over. He's got a boykin and he kills the hell out of birds, you know? I think it's how you work it and how you want to hunt, right? I that think is a wild good. card. You throw out the boykin, that's the wild card right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's growing up here in New England. There's a really? lot. More. I have many guys that have uh, boykins. I've helped train a few of them. I mean, they're sweet dogs. They're nice. I can't wait to tell Trevor Santos when we, oh, we were all together. You were down in Georgia and we were at the game fair over at Barnsley yeah. at yeah. the Beretta shooting grounds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Trevor, Trevor breaks out and he's like, well, I did it. And we're like, you did what? He was like, I got a boykin. And he, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and um, Kim and BC were there and oh, yeah. oh my gosh. And we were, and they're lab guys, right? Uh, the yeah. Yeah, it was. All, and so, I mean, he is such a beautiful dog and we have no doubts that that dog is going to be successful, but it was so funny because he was just mumbling it. Yep. I got a boykin. <laughs> yeah. And talk about cult, right? That is yeah. a tight group of people. Well, and then the last time we saw each other, we were at Seawee. And if That's you right. haven't been to Seawee as an upland hunter or waterfowl hunter, I don't really know how to put that show into words. No, but that's a great show. South Carolina's state dog is the Boykin. And I don't know any other state that preaches about their dog like South Carolina. But if you know, I mean, you may not even know what the capital of South Carolina is, but you're <laughs> going to know that their state dog is the Boykin. Boykin and Barber. That's what you see. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, this year, the over under um, wax cotton jacket, especially the wingmaster took over because we were all oh, out yeah. um brittle bank and uh -huh. i could not believe it because that that town is so traditional 
Oh, yeah. And, you know, and everybody is in a fedora hat and a wax cotton jacket and it's 80 degrees outside. But if there's a cloud in the sky, they're breaking it out, you know? Yeah, that's uh, they have a uniform down there, right? <laughs> yeah. So you guys were just across the road this year. Have you been in that facility before or is that a new location? I think that's a new location. That was our first time exhibiting, right? They call us up and we were like, yeah, you know, we'll decorate kind of that upward uh, upstairs venue. So it was- You, just, you just said, okay, everybody stop here. Seaweed is huge, like massively huge, right under maybe 200,000 people come to the show. It has every high-end gun company, every high-end artist. I mean, tons of artists, like big money. And little Pepe over here is like, yeah, they just <laughs> called us up and said, please come. You're yeah. on a waiting list to get to be a vendor at Siwi. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, and we're the only tax service there. So, uh, so we had cool. a big spread. I don't know if you made it up there, but I did. Yeah. We had that giant brown bear. We had pheasants. We had Ibex. We had all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, we brought this ostrich right here. That was pretty cool. Something different. Uh, you know, there's not too many people have an ostrich sitting around. So that was kind of a showstopper and a uh, bunch of the little pieces just uh, to freshen it up. But uh, we had a pretty cool spread and we're looking forward to next year, bring something new and see what we can wow some some visitors with. Well, I was wowed and I love the fact that Siwi is thinking about your art, you know, because they showcase so many painters, yes. um, yeah. you know it's a it's a huge attraction for that weekend and so i'm i'm so thrilled that you shared that i wish i would have known when i was there we would have been popping champagne yeah right it was good <laughs> it's a good place to go and and party have a couple of cocktails that's for sure oh i know i i think they drink bloody marys all day long in charleston i think so nothing wrong with that <laughs> bringing them around upstairs it, it was, was so good. funny because at over under it was like the the checkout line would get so long that the people would come and start bringing drinks to the people that were standing in line to check out at our booth it was yeah. so crazy i'd never seen anything like it yeah well that du party there at cv2 is uh it's insane it's insane i'll never forget my first time there so if you haven't been to cv and you plan on coming as soon as you decide that you want to go, you need to start searching tickets for the DU um, Oyster Roast. It's in an old depot train station, and it is shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder packed people that absolutely love our lifestyle. They're dressed for the there. nine with, like, field wear that you wear to town is what is, like, the dress code, and it is so much fun. There's just all these tables set up. You just walk up and start shucking oysters and yeah. filling up your beer cup. I mean, it really is. They, they've, I don't know how long they've been doing that, but it's like a family reunion for DU. Yeah, it's awesome too, because up here, all these events are like banquet style, right? And you're mm -hmm. just, you get worn out, right? We go to a lot of them uh, and you're kind of like, I don't need to sit here and hang out you know at a table and this and that like banquets kind of start to get old after a little bit but uh that event is just kind of like a free-for-all right people just buzzing here and there and having fun they have that giant auction and it's just a good time it is a great time we had so much fun we we left there and i don't even know how i, I don't think we shut the place down but we didn't get home early. I remember our crew was like walking down the sidewalk. We bought burgers out of this side <laughs> of some window in downtown Charleston and stuff. I mean, the nightlife there was so much fun, especially when it was full of seaweed people because everybody there is a hunter. And yeah. I don't know. I left with so many new friends this year. It was a great yeah. memory. Yeah, those, I mean, that's a giant show, but that style of show is fun to go to, right? You're outside, there's dogs, there's events, uh, like the game fair, you're outside, you're seeing things. There's a lot of those little game fairs popping up around the country and and they're fun and they're different, right? We do a lot of SEI stuff and Dallas Safari Club where people show up to go to the show specifically to book a hunt or look at gear, or find a tax service and see their friends, right? Uh, 
and they're great and they're a lot of fun and you see all your friends from around the world right that you only see once twice a year for those shows but when you go to seaweed or those smaller venues like people go for everything that it has to offer they look at the seminars they look at the art the town they make it long weekends uh it's just a different vibe uh which is fun for when you're so used to i grew up going to those big conventions going and working those shows and bringing your booth and you're hanging out and uh they're fun so it's they're all different and they're all a good time oh i i bet people live and just to show up to come and chat it up with you and your dad because they've done it for the last 10 20 years you know we have a lot of uh clients all over the country right we probably have more clients out of new york and new england than we do have have locals so it's fun when you go there and everybody from georgia and colorado and california and arizona that's our meeting spot right they come to the booth and you hang out and you hear who's got what on the books to go see and you talk about trophy rooms and because some of these people we don't we just ship them their trophies and they install it so uh when we see them at the show is the only interaction we really have face to face so yeah uh that's fun you know there's a lot of cocktails and lunches and dinners uh which is a good thing right that's how you meet people and these shows are great for meeting people uh you know, those, it's so easy to get lost in those giant and shows. It's so hard to call it work and it is work and it's exhausting. And you almost need a break at the end of it. Right. Especially yeah. this year at SCI convention in Nashville. Oh boy. Oh my gosh. Like events were starting at 11 o'clock at night. So you would have yeah. like your first one starting at nine, you would have a lunch thing. You would have a mid afternoon thing. Then right. The dinner banquet would happen there would be a concert right after that then all you would do is have time to get from point a to point b right and then all of a sudden there's another event at 11 o'clock it was like and you're not going to say no you're not going to miss it <laughs> yeah you're worn out after two days i mean that's a four or five day event uh yeah it starts on wednesday so are you guys going to showcase in nashville next year uh, I don't know if we'll showcase. We're figuring it out. Uh, usually just kind of go and see our clients and and hang out. And then it's like the one that we get to walk around and enjoy a little bit ourselves, which is... At SDI. Yeah, which is nice. Uh, Dallas is kind of our big uh, show to exhibit and see we. Those are probably our two big exhibit shows uh, taken away from all the little field events. Oh, well, I can't wait for Nashville, for SCI convention in Nashville. We were just in Nashville two weeks ago and we're making videos already. Like get ready for January. Like we're going to yeah. be back here. And you know, it's fun in Nashville. It's nice not to have a booth. I can just count. Usually Elizabeth, my wife goes with me and, yeah. and we just kind of walk around, you know, we see their people and we can stop and talk. You don't have to worry like, Hey, I got to go to the booth. You know, you're like, Hey, let's go out for lunch now. Let's see and hang out. It, uh, it kind of works out nice. It's less regimented. You know, at Dallas, I got to be in the booth or your meetings and different things like that. But uh, you missed the fun. Yeah, you missed part of the fun. You know, now I could tell a huge cultural difference between SCI convention in Vegas and SCI convention in Nashville. Could you feel that? Yeah, for sure. And I felt like there was less exhibitors. So it was busy the whole time at Nashville, which was nice, right? Sometimes you walk some of uh, especially when it was in Reno, like you walk around and the hardcore hunters are still there, but there was less people and people were just kind of walking through. There was a, a buzz and the bar, the main bar was always loaded with people and loaded. Yeah. And you know, they call it, you know, closing, but people were still sitting there talking with outfitters and artists. So definitely, definitely a good vibe, which they needed. They needed a kind of a boost. And uh, it was a sellout. It was a sellout. I think they said they had the most attendees in nashville yeah so i don't if your wife comes next year we um we got to stay in touch so that she doesn't miss any of the women go hunting events oh yeah for sure yeah well, she are... usually uh we just had a little boy this year so she was home with the couple week old but uh she usually goes to vegas or sci with me so definitely well i met her in georgia at game fair yeah yeah with your um 
whole trunk system. I, I don't know what you guys don't do, but I'm so curious what it was like growing up with your dad being so involved in like in the industry, in the taxidermist shop. Like what, how did you find yourself back there? You know, it's kind of cyclical growing up, you know, my dad kind of has an old school reputation in the industry as one of those old school artists that has it right. He's pretty yeah. well known in his uh, cats and, and sheep and things like that. And growing up, it was just part of life, right? You know, it's time to work, you know, and we went down to the shop and he, I was helping clean things and pop. They have pictures of me popping rugs off of boards when I was three years old, just kind of grew up doing it. Um, always did it, worked the shows in college. And, uh, after that, I kind of spanned it out and I was a hunting guide for a while, uh, with all the dogs and I don't know, just kind of came back home and gravitated towards it and started cranking through. I still guide a bunch, but, uh, and still work the dogs on a smaller scale, but now this is my full-time job. I think it just came back and working for home. You know, it's a family thing. You call up the studio, you're getting my mom, my dad, or myself, and yeah. uh, some other guys in the studio. But your parents are working the booth, and I mean, they're still there. So they're kind of partying the booth. I would <laughs> say. So. That's yeah, how I would recommend that. they, they party the booth up a little bit. <laughs> uh, less work in these days, which is good. They go and take off and hang out, but uh, they they're there. They're there. Life it's of the such party, a cool usually. family tradition that you have kept going because your dad is a household name and in the in that world and those standards that he set you know like you don't lose that so from the outside looking in it's a really cool thing to watch when it's your normal life you know like you don't yeah. you may not see it exactly the way that we all do yeah you know and our clients, you come in, we're a family, right? And the people that work with us are family. I have the dogs in the shop with us and they're running around and the clients just become our friends. You know, uh, everybody is family. They call up and we hear about their, their life and the, it's not just work, you know, everybody's kind of cohesive and we hang out and we go get cocktails and not talk about, you know, what's the taxidermy, what's, what's your next trip? We just go out and hang out as friends. And uh, it's kind of nice that way. You know, we're not a uh, giant, really. We know everybody intimately and what's going on. And and usually everything becomes kind of a big party with us. We're a very old school Italian family. So yep. there's usually <laughs> lemon cello floating around or snacks and cookies and things. And, and everybody knows that, you know, you know, this certain time of day, you know, you swing by, find Mary or find Carl and Michael and they have, you know, cocktails and limoncello sitting there and something, you know, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's fun. So how, how did your family get started in this whole taxidermy world? So uh, my dad is the third owner of Jonas Brothers Studios. Um, the history, a little backtrack of Jonas Brothers, uh, five brothers came from Hungary and three stayed in New York and started Jonas Brothers Studios. One went to Seattle and that turned into Kleinberger Brothers, which is closed. And then one went to Denver, so which is uh, Jonas Taxidermy. And they're all separate companies. We were never affiliated, but uh, my dad is the third owner of Jonas Brothers Studios in New York. It used to be in Mount Vernon. Uh, now it's in Brewster. And uh, I think he was, he's artistic and he was looking for a job and he was outside and hunting and he went, you know, I'm going to try this out as he says, and was good at it and just went with it, took the ball and ran. And, and that's really it, you know, nothing crazy. And they were always involved and I was always there. And here we are today kind of thing. Wow. Yeah. And our company is 1908 was founded. My dad's the third owner and he took over, started working in 84, took over in 85. He worked there a year before he took it over. Yeah. So he owned a different studio in the Bronx, small time, you know, studio in the Bronx doing local stuff, deer and turkeys and all that stuff. That's for hard for anybody outside New York to even comprehend. He did local taxidermy in the Bronx. Local taxidermy in the Bronx. <laughs> 
and uh, we're born and raised in the Bronx. Uh, my family and I was born there. We moved up when I was little, but uh, and then Peter Horn or Steve Horn, excuse me, uh, approached him and was like, "Hey, Carl, I want you to uh, buy Jonas Brothers." He was like, "Yeah." He just got married and my sister was little and he was like, all right, let's, let's do it. And again, he just jumped in and, and ran with it. So kind of crazy how he got into Jonas. And uh, then I was um, born in 89 and he was cranking along by then. And he realized so they moved out of the city. Yeah. So we were in the Bronx. He had that, then it was Mount Vernon. It stayed in Mount Vernon for a long time. And then oh, I love Mount Vernon as we got older uh we moved up at the yeah. time brewster was more almost like suburbs of the city we could get there in an hour and change but a little bit more country and just kind of downscaled a little bit i i don't know if people have traveled the state of new york but the it's city is all different. people think about oh my gosh it's new york as a state is such an amazing place it's cool. I mean, there's so much going on uh, just for people to see plus outdoor activities, right? The agriculture, the outdoors, yeah. the hunting, the fishing. Oh I mean, my gosh. Like, it's just, it's amazing place. I went to school in Canton, which is right. The closest city is Ottawa, right? So we were right on the St. Lawrence river and that's seven hours from New York city. So that's, over the Adirondacks and it's kind of flat and cold right along the river and you have the Adirondacks then I mean for hunting wise you have rough grouse and woodcock but you have puddle ducks and some of the best goose hunting ever and then you have divers and sea ducks um you have I mean the one thing that we're missing is big game things we have whitetails and and black bears but you have big whitetails if you head into Western New York and now in the city, there's a lot of, you know, in Southern New York, there are big deer and it's just so demographic and there's some great fly fishing and then you have saltwater fishing. It's uh people don't think about us as a outdoor recreation state, but mm -hmm. if you, I mean, it takes, it's almost 400 miles long, you know, from one point to the next, you know, 300 and something miles. There's a lot of state there. Oh, and the rolling hills of the Catskills and the, all the bed and breakfast and the little small towns and the, uh, it, it is so fun. I've traveled there multiple times. I love the Adirondacks. It's one of my favorite places to just go and hang out. Little yeah. mountain towns, little mountain towns, you know, little mountain towns. Yep. Coffee shops and cafes. Yeah, pretty much. And a lot of the uh, like post offices are just like trailers. You know, you just walk over. Yeah. Uh, it reminds you of something different, like old world when you mm -hmm. still get up in those little towns. Yeah. And nobody, nobody really thinks about all the hunting and stuff that's in New York. I remember my first trip there, my youngest or my oldest daughter was only like eight, I guess. And I was like, we're not leaving here until we do a horseback ride through the mountains. Like, it because you yeah. just don't expect it to be so beautiful no i mean uh, adirondacks has the 46 peaks i mean then it's fun you go to lake placid you hang out and within an hour's drive you can hit some serious mountains for new england standards right it's not the rockies but for new england uh it's some of the best you can get so when you leave your state what where do you go and what do you hunt oh uh, i'm a I like collecting stuff. I, uh, I was heavy into collecting different species of ducks. I didn't make it there quite just yet. I'm still ticking away, but, uh, I traveled pretty, pretty extensively for a while, uh, anywhere I could shoot different waterfowl. Uh, now I travel with the dogs, but, uh, I like going anywhere new for me. I like the different styles of hunting. You can learn so much from hunting with different people, different styles, different birds, uh, I do a lot of bird hunting, like I said, and big game, right? So this year, something new, I drew an elk tag and a mule deer tag archery. So I'm heading out to Colorado to do that. And then do you know, Kyle Wagner, uh, in Wyoming, mm -mm. he runs some GSPs and, uh, Gordon's we're going to chase some sage grouse together and then it's grouse season here. So I'm home and deer season. So I'll be in the shop and then, uh, 
we're chasing some mountain lions in December. So oh, that's a bucket listing for me. Mountain lions, especially if I can go with the hounds. Yeah, that's what we're doing. And we've known this guy. I guess I've known of him my whole life. My dad known him since the eighties. So uh old school mountain man, you know. And what what stage is that in? Colorado. I'm hanging out in oh, Colorado a lot this you're year. You're gonna hang out in Colorado. Yeah. Wow. But, yeah, it's good. Well, I'll try to get down to JB and hunt some quail, you know. So yeah. Well, I am toying with a hosting a trip to South Africa for wing shooting for next oh, yeah. So that's that. the big thing that's on my desk right now is putting all the details of that together and pulling together some people that want to trailblaze wing shooting in South Africa. I did it when I was probably seven years ago, seven years ago. It was a great time. We shot three or four different species in one hunt. And it, it's a good, there's a lot of opportunity to, to bird hunt upland and waterfowl. So I, yeah. And we've got both on the schedule because go for it. I sat down and said, okay, I could check off my um, South Africa list for SCI for oh, a yeah. book in three trips because, you know, the seasons or whatever, like you can only do so much in one trip. And it's so demographic, uh, the Popo area to Cape Town where you, you have two yeah. totally different bird species. So that's crazy. And, and I never even had a desire to leave the States because when you're talking about upland game and waterfowl, it it's hard to conquer the States with all of this, oh, yeah. you know? And so I was like, man, all the traveling that I did for four years straight, living out of my truck, I, I honestly think last year I might have been in Georgia for 12 weeks. It's a lot of traveling. <laughs> and I'm like, how do I, how do we even do this? You know? And then, um, so I just kind of feel a little guilty leaving the States, leaving my dogs to go do something else, you know? And, but I just love the people and I met them through SCI. And it's like you say, you just, you become family with these people and you stay mm -hmm. in touch through social media. And, and then you hear all these stories and that's what women go hunting did to me is I got around all these ladies that aren't just like me. And the, and the other organizations that we're involved in, we go and everybody's the same, you know? And, and it's great because we do build great relationships and we get a lot of open doors and a lot of invitations with those organizations. But now I've been inspired by women that don't wing shoot. You know, they're, they're not into wing shooting at all. And they're inspiring me to go outside of my box and go conquer new things. Now, not up, not like big game. I'm not leaving the wing shooting world, gotcha. but it did change my perspective and my drive. I think, um, to experience other things that are out there. It's, it's awesome. I mean, I was lucky for a little bit. I traveled with a client and filmed some stuff for him and we hit Asia and I went uh, oh, wow. in the Caucasus mountains and Turkey and we hit bc a bunch of times i've been to bc a lot and uh just traveling to get out of your bubble like you said the culture is is amazing you know uh to see how other people live and what they live in and the terrain you know azerbaijan is one of the harshest places on the planet and the people that live there like make it look easy it's unreal we're all in the top best gear you can get and they're walking around and galoshes and you know a wool sweater and you're like how are you doing this and they just you know no big deal they walk around the wood stick and paper bag with lunch and they go it's just and africa is great the bird hunting is awesome and and they do it differently you know it's just it's fun to see it's always fun to learn and and see what the world's got for you because every region is different and sit down in the campfire stories like it's crazy to hear how they're all the same, no matter where you go, no matter how different the culture <laughs> yeah. is. The camp yeah. stories are still the same. The campfire stories, yeah. Yeah. It's a different way of saying it, but uh, everybody sits around a campfire with a beer and and tells tells stories. It's fun. Brings you together. It, it does. And, you know, I don't know if you follow all the politics um, that go on and especially with SCI's post, because, you know, they are like our leading defender 
for our yeah. lifestyle. And it gets so scary. And I'm like, oh, just let Ben sweat about it. You know, I don't need to sweat about it. I just need to do my job and let Ben do his. But I do think about it so much. And yesterday they posted where um, Biden is going after all the, the lead bands. And we, we yeah, did that before. That. You have kids and they're going to be in shooting sports. I mean, shooting sports is huge up where you guys are, not just in the hunting industry, but shooting sports. I always preach is the number one way to build self-confidence for anyone. And it's like, oh, it just hit me like a ton of bricks yesterday. It's always something too, right? I do follow. It's our way of life. So I, I pay attention uh, as much as I can. And it's every week you're getting a notification of no kennels over six dogs in this state and the banning of imports of big five in that state and the lead band. And it's just everywhere you turn, it's something new. And from giant scale things to small scale things, uh, have you been paying attention to some of the dog things that they've been trying to pass? Oh my gosh. Like, yeah. You couldn't tie up, put a dog on a stakeout in the state of Nevada. I'm like, what how would i've even yeah. have traveled with all of our dogs you can't just air out pointers just let them yeah. go it's, you know? it's insane uh then there, there were some up here that if you had multiple dogs uh and if you bred one it was considered kennel and you had to get certain paperwork and it's just they were attacking anything they could um the docket that it comes up all the time with uh dog trials have you seen that one it started oh. off with, uh, you know, running hounds for coyotes, I think, mm-hmm. trying to ban that. And then it turned into all dog trials they were trying to get rid of. So no labs, no springers, no long tails, just everything. It, it keeps getting shut down, luckily. But I mean, I don't know. I've seen it four times at least come back and through. And the scary part is, is when they sneak it into other bills. Yeah. So it's hard to keep up and it's hard when you're not in our industry on a daily basis, like you and I are to keep this, our focus for other people to be aware and understand the severity of the situation. Like we are literally attacked every single day, every day. Yeah. And they keep, they hide it. It's quiet until it's up to vote. You know, you get a day to pay attention. If you're not diligent about it, if you kind of pro through, you're like, oh, it the votes today. You're like, holy gee, where has it been? You know, it's just they hide it along until it's vote day. Um, New York, it comes and goes in a bunch of states, but uh, the import of certain animals from Africa comes constantly. Uh, the one for New York is a big one because JFK is one of the largest importing ports in the country. So if they ban it, for New York, New Jersey, with Newark and JFK, it's huge, you know, like shuts down most of it. Now they all, most of it will have to travel to Texas or I think Miami's turning into a bigger one. It's just, they keep throwing at it at the wall and see what stick, but SCI and a whole lot of uh, conservation groups are, are very diligent. I'm thankful for it because uh, I support a lot of them and, and everybody has to just because everybody's got to fight this or we're going to, my We're kids, your kids are, are going to be in trouble. Yeah, for sure. And that was the whole thing as an, as an upland hunter, when I first started, I just kind of believed like everybody else, like, well, nobody's going to come after us, you know? Yeah. And then all of a sudden it was like, how are we getting hit all the time? I mean, how can you say we're not taking care of our dogs? Almost every bird hunter I know has a dog sleeping in the bed, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like Their dog, yeah. our dogs are getting taken care of better than a majority of non-working dogs yeah life i want to come back as my dog for sure (laughs) i know i know and so it i think it just goes so much further beyond um fighting laws like what robbie is doing with blood origins and sharing the story it's hard for us to measure the influences that he's making but you see it like, you know, because he, he will do a video and he'll interview people. So I'm thinking about how many people have been introduced to his stories that we don't know about that it changed their hearts. Yeah. Those are great videos too. He does an awesome job with those. He does such a good job. And I was talking with, um, Brooke Minks, who is the president of the Safari club foundation. 
Mm-hmm. He threw out some very interesting numbers to me saying that um, like 10% of people are just hardcore living like us, right? We're all about that American dream and lifestyle. And then there's 10% people that we're never going to reach. It's yeah. like this whole 80% people in the middle that don't have heartstrings attached to anything. So they're not necessarily against it, but they don't know that they're for it either. And it's yeah. like, okay, well, if if we just have to focus on mentorship and going outside of our bubble and like sharing these things, like you have a family tradition. I just started mine and I just hope that we can hang on to it for the next generation to become their own and take on their own identity and stuff, you know? And so I don't know. I, I just thought that was so crazy when we look at how attacked we are and then what the numbers are that are really fighting against us. How in the world do we not win? It's tough, right? Everybody sits there. I, I try to I'm take a lot of young people out, uh, bird hunting, big game hunting. Uh, a lot of first timers have shot their first bird over my dogs. And I think that's how I, as a personal, you know, I'm in the big industry, but on a small scale, that's probably what I try to do. And I think everybody needs to find something large scale, small scale. You get one person involved. It helps. Uh, I take my son, Ralph out. He is already working dogs. He has his whistles. He blows them and grabs and throws pigeons. And, you know, if I start them young and he loves it so much, like I do, you know, and I hope George is the same, my uh, little guy he'll fight the next generation and maybe his buddies will come and join and slowly one by one. Cause if we don't get the next group or a guy that you said, that's in that 80% or that woman that's in that 80% going, let's, let me just see what it's like to, to shoot trap or to see the dog work. We'll never know. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how I've noticed that I pull a lot of unsure people they come to the house just to hang out if they're friends of ours and they see the dogs and say, yeah, they're all working dogs. They're so well-mannered. Yeah. Well, you want to see them work one day? And they're like, usually unsure, you know, and they sit there for another little while and you're hanging out and they go, yeah, you know, just call me next time you go. And that's how it starts, right? The next time they go and you don't have to shoot, just come and walk. You know, you can hang out and see the sunrise with us. It's, it's great. And then oh, yeah. tailgate tails. And then all of a sudden that person, even though they're not drastically two feet in, they're in, right? You have them a little bit and they might tell the next person. It just rolls a little bit. Cause and you're uh, throwing them in the deep end of the pool in the grouse woods. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've done that in the grouse woods and and i've had that hey we're just gonna walk through this cut one day and they're like do you know where we are michael i said yeah yeah i've been here before it's just trees i said if we walk down this hill we'll we'll reach a logging road yeah how do you know which way we're going i said do you see those trees up there they're like it's all trees i said just follow me we'll make it through but uh (laughs) it works out pretty well but right around my house we're probably loaded with some of the best uh, hunting clubs in New England, probably in the country. And I guide out a lot of those, all these guys coming in out of Manhattan and coming out of different cities. There's probably eight gun clubs right here. So there's easy ways to get people on. Uh, I mean, they're pen raised birds, but uh, we have access to some farms that just release them and we go chase. And it's the easiest way to get someone in and see dog work, right? Sometimes you never see your dog on point in the grouse woods, but here it's nice and open and they can sit there and appreciate why we love it. So it's, uh, it's fun. I like it. I keep doing it. I keep guiding cause I love it. I just yeah. squeeze more into the schedule cause, uh, I don't know how I would do without doing it. I need to do it. You know, that's what was happening with me when, um, I moved to the family farm all because of the dogs, because yeah. I had my dream house that I wanted since I was a teenager in our little Mayberry right off Main Street. And and all my friends walked Main Street, would come and sit on my porch. I mean, it was perfect. And then all of a sudden, I had too many dogs to live in those city (laughs) limits, you know. And so that's when I sold my house and moved out here. And then I never. 
Yeah. And I never dreamt that life would take this journey. And then it kind of takes on a life of its own and you just hold on and roll with it, you know, because it is just too much fun. And that was the whole thing. I'm like, but I was like, what else would you do if you weren't doing this? I was like, I don't know, just put me stacking shelves at Walmart. Like there's nothing else I want to do. So however, I have to make this work. I want to make it work because me and my girls love it. And the family that we've built through this lifestyle and the, the mentors that have come into their life because of this lifestyle is absolutely priceless. Yeah. It's, uh, you meet the best people because they're all good hearted people, right? Yeah. Dog people are good hearted people. If you have, and everybody goes, how many dogs do you have, Michael? I have a lot. I have five at the moment. Uh, and I'm always got dogs coming in and out and they're like, can you get another? I said, you know, like once you're over four is probably the easy part. You can go and let four dogs out and you're like, all right, no problem. Once you crest that, it, it becomes oh. a little bit, but you're almost like, you know, <laughs> what, what's one more then, you know? I know I've played that game. I have, I'm down to three. And my mom said the other day, she was like, are you like, you're, you don't need your dog trailer. Are you going to sell it? I'm like, oh no. <laughs> no I was can't. like, honestly, between Chad and I, we do have, seven dogs so I still need it but there's no way that I would sell my dog trailer and think if something came along and I found this great dog that I couldn't say no to that I wouldn't have room for it to yeah. haul it. you know I'm like no if anything mom I would be upgrading my dog trailer that just sits there like yeah exactly you're always I getting can't give it up. <laughs> we just lost a puppy uh you know she was she was old but uh we were sitting there in between and I was waiting for the springers to come and we have four and I have a bunch of older elderly dogs, excuse me. And, uh, styles was like, Hey, I need you to hold on to a dog for the summer. I was like, what do you think Elizabeth? She's like, it is what it is. You know, what's, what's one more. And I was like, you know what? It's She's true. a it's keeper. <laughs> oh, my wife. I, I don't know how she puts up with me. Uh, I, when we were dating, she came to visit me. I was in Nebraska. She lived in Atlanta. And I was like, what are we doing tomorrow? I was like, well, we're going to go duck hunting in the morning. It'll be like 30. And then we'll hunt pheasants. And then I'll cook dinner afterward. And she came out and froze and went and shot her first wild pheasants. And since then, we've been chasing birds and fish around the world together. And and she loves it. And she braces all my craziness with more dogs and more gear and trucks and pigeons and travel and uh she's the best and and she embraced it because she didn't come from a family that did it but uh she lets our boys and go outside and get dirty and hang out and it's great we have a good life oh that's so special yeah it's fun it's makes it hard you know to find people today that are like-minded to do pull them into this so it's fun you know Oh yeah. Well, when we, when we were the last, uh, game fair that we went to in Georgia, when you guys were there, we had kind of a slow afternoon that first day. I don't know if you remember, do you remember? Yeah. 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 And so I remember she was hanging out with us and Kim from Ren and Ivy was there and Amy from Hound and Hair. And we literally just had a girl afternoon yeah. fair and we were all supposed to be working and it's like, <laughs> it's no. We're, we're off. We're having way too much fun. And Grace with Odo Pro Technologies was yeah. there. And yeah, that's, I wish that we had more of those where we could just, I don't know, like pre-COVID, I felt like we had more of a, a set schedule where it was like, oh, for sure. saw everybody at least once a quarter, you yes. know? And so yeah, the, that was such a fun time. And I haven't thought about that game fair in so long until you brought all this up, but yeah, good times. It is good times. So we're going to try to get something going for next year. We'll see what happens. Jamie okay. Well, SCI, we're going to stay in touch. I'm going to get her all plugged in with Perfect. all the women's things because they just launched this last year and it was huge and it just went, it just took by storm. So, um, it just, it's been awesome to see all the growth, even though we're, we're still fighting and you and I sweat bullets every day to see, you know, what else is going to happen. But there is growth happening and there, um, and people are rallying together. And so it's really cool to celebrate that too. Definitely. Definitely. I agree. 
Well, you've been my first taxidermist to, to be on my show. And I, and I wanted to showcase all this and we didn't really talk about it. We talked more about just life and dogs because that's usually what we talk about. Yeah. Um, but maybe you can come on again and actually talk about the artistry of it and the time and the, and like what goes into it and um, how we should properly prep our game for that. And then, you know, goals that we can set in building a trophy room and all the yeah. cool stuff like that, because it's very in depth. So I'd love to, yeah. I mean, yeah. from fish to birds and big game, everything's handled a little different and uh, travel international, you know, uh, you're going to South Africa, you can actually import those birds frozen and ship them I back. I have to, I had my first spec that I got this last season in a free, in the freezer. And I shot a turkey in Nashville downtown, which is like our favorite town. We have, <laughs> we want to live there so bad. And so it was kind of a super special bird. It wasn't my first turkey, but it was uh, probably my most special turkey. Yeah. So I have things that, that I need to make plans for, and they're just sitting there waiting on me to make some decisions. So well, at least you got them in the freezer. There you go. First oh, step. Yeah. Yep. I got them in the freezer. Yeah, but it's it's great stories to have. I have all all kinds of things hanging on the wall. I mean, my trophy room is not near as extensive as most of your clients, but like my dad was cleaning out his house and he brought me his big buck that he killed when I was little. Yeah. And because my stepmom was like, we don't need this on the wall anymore. And I'm like, we don't throw things like that away. <laughs> yeah. So I love it because it's always a story. It's all memories. I mean, that's what taxidermy is. It's your memory of the trip, right? Yeah. Uh, it's important to us. And if you have a tight knit group of friends or family, you know, you can pass it down, but it doesn't have the same feeling as much to other people, right? They might look at it and go, oh, you know, I don't get that, but you could sit there and remember the hunt and who was there and the stories and what you went through to get it and how the dog worked or what mountain you had to climb. And, and that's why you do it, right? Oh, and, and it's so much better than just a picture. Yeah. I mean, I think so. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think so. Well, I look forward to next time. Thank you so much for sharing Thank about you. your family and the history of the Jonas Brothers taxidermy shop and all the things that you guys are doing. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. and had fun. Papa gave daddy and daddy gave